you're watching us online, we're glad you're with us and welcome. And if you're in the venue, welcome this morning. And Pastor Brandon and Pastor Scott, thank you for your leadership over there. You know, the last part of that song that we were able to sing in here was, uh, uh, the last part of it was, it is well. And the original writer of those words, it is well with my soul. Well, he wrote them. In the spot in the middle of the ocean where his, uh, his family had perished just a short time before. They were on a journey and they were shipwrecked and they died. And he was passing the exact spot or the close location to where that tragedy would have occurred as he was by himself. And he penned the words, it is well with my soul. How do you get there? How do you, how do you get there? How do you get there in that moment to say, it is well. I've lost it all, but it is well with my soul. This morning, I want to take a look at a passage that hopefully will, will help us. Will help us be there in those moments, will help us to be anchored. Pastor Rick's not here, if you didn't notice. Yeah. But uh, he, uh, he, uh, he came down with the, the flu and called, uh, called me yesterday morning and said, hey, could you teach? And I said, well, sure, that'd be great. I'd be honored to. And started thinking about it. And uh, we're going to let him continue on with uh, uh, the Beatitudes, pick it right back up next week where it was going to. But I've really been wrestling with this a little bit as I've talked to people over the last few weeks and months and even longer. I feel as if there is a great hopelessness around us in our culture and in the church. And it puzzles me. It baffles me sometimes. Not when our culture is hopeless, not when the world's hopeless, but when I sense and feel or hear the response of hopelessness within the body of Christ. So I want to look at that. Because of all people, of all times, those that are in Christ are anything but hopeless, but instead hopeful. And so as we tear apart this passage, I hope we're reminded, I hope we can take a step closer. I hope that in that moment of pain, in that moment of hurt, the moment of disappointment, the, whatever that moment happens to be for you in hopelessness is knocking on the door. I hope this will remind us and teach us how to step into hopefulness, our hope, the hope of our salvation. We're going to look at 1 Peter verses, chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. And we're just going to start right in verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the providence of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadonica, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood Grace and peace be yours in abundance. 
Praise be to the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with the inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end results of your faith, the salvation of your souls. As we begin to look at this passage, we want to start with this, with this truth that when we talk about hope, when we're talking about a life filled with hope, we're not talking about that hope that I wish and I'm, I, I'm wanting something to come to pass. If everything aligns just right, it will. Our football team at Big Valley High School had a game a couple weeks ago for their first game, and we played a, a school that was a couple divisions ahead of us, and, and uh, yeah, they were a good, solid team, and we went out there, and we hoped to have won the game, and after a 50-point loss, that hope was not realized. But we hoped. That's not the hope that Christians have. That's not the hope that that God has given us. The biblical hope that we have, the hope that comes with the relationship with Christ is a secure hope. It's an anchoring hope. It's a foundation that we get to secure and anchor and wedge our life into and it does not fail. It is our hope. It is what sustains us. It is what is often our nourishment and our provision. It's our hope. No matter how crazy the times get, no matter how beat up we feel, our hope is secure. It's sure. It's in a bedrock. It's in a foundation that's unbreakable, unchangeable, unmovable. It's in Christ. So let's start there. And let's look at our hope. The first part of our hope is found in knowing that the Father, Yahweh, has chosen you. He's chosen me. You are not in a relationship with the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Savior. You are not in a relationship because of something you have done, because of your right acts, because of your knowledge, because of your intellect, because of your study, nor because you got invited to the right church service or the best event, nor because Billy Graham talked, Rick Countryman talked, or a Sunday school teacher taught. You are in the kingdom a child, a son, or daughter of the great king because he chose you. Yeah, amen, because he chose you. 
And that brings great security. That brings amazing comfort because he chose you. Listen to what other parts of scripture say. John 6, all those the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them and I will raise them up at the last day. The father draws us. He chooses us. Ephesians one says, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. He chose us. Back to the passage we're looking at in 1 Peter. Let's read verses 1 and 2 again. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, to those he chose, exiles scattered throughout the providences, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. For those he chose through his foreknowledge, through the work of his Spirit, he's sanctifying, making holy, giving us a new constitution to live by for certain and sure. But what is he doing? He is giving us grace and peace. For those he chooses, he just does not choose and go, hey, you're done. He gives us the spirit, which gives us grace and peace in abundance. That literally means more and more and more. You need more peace, more. How can somebody who has an abundance of peace and abundance of grace wind up hopeless? We are hopeful because the one who chose us is the one who offers peace, is the one who offers grace, and in him there is hope. Okay, he chose us, but, but what, how is that? How is that? Listen to what happens when God chooses something. Psalms 33 says, but the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purposes of his heart through all generations. When he chooses, he does not unchoose. The grass withers and the flowers fall, fall, but the word of our God endures forever. What he says stands forever. When you were called his daughter, when you were called his son, when he chose you, it stands forever. You are forever his. Our hope in him. Hebrews 13 says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. All sorts of things change in our life, but never God, his plans, or his choices. And he chose you. It's such an amazing outside of our mind, thought, and relationship that the God creator of the universe of all times, all powerful, chose us to be in a relationship with him. There's no human relationship that can possibly compare to that, but Let's give it a shot. Let's, let's explore for a second. Do you remember? Do you remember one of the first times you were chosen? Remember? Remember back in school? Remember when the boy came up to you and said, hey, uh, 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 pizza after the game? You want to go with me? Yes! I don't even know your name, but yes! 
you chose me, all the girls in school, and you chose me. And the dude's like, yeah, that means you're choosing me. Well, we're chosen. We can't, it can't compare, but remember those moments of how good it felt? Remember when you tried out for a sports team and, and, and cuts came and the list was going to be on the gym wall and you walked up and you were hoping you were in the right column, which meant the coach chose you. And when he did, you were like, oh, I got chosen. Remember how good that felt? Remember when you, last time you were chosen for a promotion or you were chosen for an opportunity or a leadership role? Maybe you were gonna be in a play or a drama and you were chosen for that role that you really wanted. That happened to my niece this year. She was chosen to play Mary Poppins. Whoa, man, we thought she was Mary Poppins. And uh, it was just amazing. She was chosen for that special thing, that special role. And then there's the one that many of us in this room, many, many of us in this room have been able to experience. Standing at the altar of all the multiple billions of people. My wife chose me. And I chose her. And we stood there and we knew that we had chosen one another. Remember that day? That was a special day. The Lord Almighty God, maker and ruler of all the earth and all creation, still on his throne. The waves and the sun and the sea and all of nature still obeys him. He chose you, sons and daughters. He chose you. There's an expression that I like to use that was a friend of mine, and after I heard it, I'm like, oh, it's mine now, I'm taking it. And so I used it. I haven't been in here enough with you that you would have heard it, but it goes like this. What difference does that make tomorrow morning when the alarm goes off at 6 a.m.? What difference does that make? And with this one, with God choosing us and our hope, I wanna change it a little bit. What difference does it make tonight when everything's done and tucked away and you turn off that last light and you lay your head down on the pillow. What difference does it make to know that you've been chosen by God? It means that no matter what happened, no matter what took place that day, no matter what failures you had, no matter what words you spoke, no matter what choices you made, no matter how many successes or how many failures there were, and no matter what someone said to you or didn't say to you, no matter how cruel somebody was, no matter how vicious the circumstance, what difference does it make? is that the one who chose you has authority and power over every other thing. That means that those who said something mean have no authority and power over you. Those that disgrace you have no poor power or authority over you. Your failures have no power or authority over you. The consequences of those failures have no authority or power over you. We may have to deal with it, but they do not define you. The one who created you and chose you is the one who defines you, and you are his sons and daughters 
and you rest well this night because he chose you. That's the difference that it makes. You are a son or a daughter of the king and you, yes, are wonderfully and perfectly made and you are the one that he decided on before all time. Sleep well, rest well, for we have hope because we have been chosen and the father does not change his mind. Let's keep reading in the passage. First Peter one, three and five, it says, praise be to God, the father, our Lord Jesus Christ in his great mercy. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that cannot perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in this last time. We've talked about it in here many times, but this is not the end. So often we lose hope because the situation we're in or the, the, the crisis that we're in, it's as if this is all there is and it is not. It is important and it is valuable. There is no doubt about that. The details of our lives matter to the Father very much. There is no doubt about that. It's all through scripture. But no matter how we look at it, this day, this moment, this 70, 80, 100 years is a blip, an almost unrecognizable blimp on the eternal radar. Valuable for this season, absolutely. But we get so caught in these moments that we forget that we are sons and daughters of the kingdom of heaven and that is our home and that is where we will spend eternity. That is what we are always to look for and it is being held for us. It is being held securely for us. And what does that mean and why does that give us hope? Because it means that our mistakes and our choices and our, our decisions cannot rip that away. It matters how we live. Don't ever hear anything different. You've been chosen by the king, so you're supposed to live with the king now. But it is never taken away. It is not something that is fragile and delicate. The God of all eternity holds it safely for you. We are to keep our eyes on the prize. My wife coaches track and ran track and I coach football. And the one thing we tell, if you're out in front, you never look back. We're headed to eternity. We are going to be face to face with the savior. But we spend so much time looking back and looking around and, and weeping and yearning for what this life can never give us because the only thing this life offers us is that which spoils and fades and rots. There's value in it. We are here, God wants to use us. He cares about the details, but make no mistake, it all rots, every little bit of it. Went into my drawer not too long ago and I pulled out a shirt. Gentlemen, you know. Guys, you're with me on this one, I know it. We all have them. We have those shirts that our wife constantly wants to throw away. Ladies, I know you don't get it. I know you don't understand, but it's our shirt. It's ours. 
They've been around for decades now, and it's ours. We're just not going to part with it. I pulled mine out, and it, it used to be navy blue, I think. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I don't know exactly the color that it is now. I held it up, and I looked at it, and said, see you at the pool. I'm like, see you at the pool? Man, I was back when I was a youth pastor. <laughs> and then there was a date, 2000. I was like, oh, that's 15 years ago. Huh, I'm going to put it on. And there's, <laughs> it's definitely a little fragile. There's a few holes in it. I put it on. 15 years, that's a lot of weight. <laughs> I do like to eat. There's a few more holes in it now. <laughs> you know, the, the one where your, your wives go, where are you going to wear that shirt? Anywhere I want to. But look at all the holes. They're my holes. Doesn't matter what it is. It rots and it fades and it goes away. A friend of ours sent us some pictures in the mail. I didn't know things still came in the mail, but they do. And uh, she even hand wrote a note. I didn't know you could do that. And um, we opened it up and there were some pictures. And what it was, this young lady was in our youth group and her parents would watch uh, my oldest one, my, my youngest one wasn't even around yet. And uh, when we'd go on youth trips and, and uh, so there were pictures of uh, my, my little Timmy and he was about one years old and he was hanging out and it was fun to watch, look, look at the pictures. But I'm looking at the pictures and I'm thinking, hey, what's, what's, what's wrong with this picture? It's, I mean, it's not on a cell phone. It's not on my computer. It's an actual thing, you know, and I'm holding it and I'm like, it's, it's faded. Oh, you know, it's 20 years old. Pictures fade. I have diplomas and ordination certificates on my wall, and they're fading. I have a box of stuff I kept that's fading. I have memories that are fading. My successes have faded. Some of my failures have faded. I have relationships that have faded. I go to the refrigerator, and just because it's been in there five weeks, I don't know why it's not good, but it seems to be spoiled. No matter what it is, it fades, it spoils, and it rots. Except for that which is kept by the eternal God. Except for that which is kept in all of glory. You see, glory doesn't fade. Glory doesn't change. Glory doesn't rot. That's our future. We've run after these things, and it's okay. We're here. We have, we have work to do while we're here. The Father gave it to us. But we act as if this is it. So when this crumbles, and this rots, and this fades, and this goes away, whatever this happens to be, the accomplishment, the, 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 the relationship, whatever that happens to be, we are now hopeless. When instead, we still have the hope of our true home, of our God that never fades, it is kept secure, and it is he and all of his power that is keeping it secure, and it is sure. It's not, we don't wonder, we don't have to, have to hope it's there as if and we will win a game. It is there, it is ours. I was talking to a college student before he was ready to go back to school, and he was telling me the story about 
how he uh, and his friends worked out their housing situation. They did everything they had to do, put the deposit down, filled out the forms, you know, got online, said we want to be in this dorm with these people. And they left. It was good. And they didn't talk a lot during the summer. And he's thinking, hey, a couple weeks before I go back to school, I should probably double check, just make sure everything's good. And he gets online only to find out he has no housing. His roommates have somebody else. He's left out in the cold. I was like, man, what are you, what are you gonna do? He goes, it gets worse. There is no housing left. I said, so what happened? He goes, they charged me a lot of money and suddenly found housing. And now I pay a lot of money and I live with somebody different that I wasn't planning on. I'm like, dude, was that, was that, was that your fault or their fault? It must've been their fault, right? He goes, no, it was my fault. He goes, I forgot to click the send button. We don't, we don't get to heaven and find out we forgot to click the button. We don't get there only to find out our reservations were given away. We don't get there to find out that it's, 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 it's not as good as maybe we thought. We don't get there and find out that it's closed for renovations. It is absolutely positively secure in the Father's hands. It is not this life that secures us. It is not the successes. It is not the rewards of this life. It is keeping our eyes on the finish line, knowing that the Father has secured our future with him. He chose you to be with him. He chose you for your future. He chose you for all eternity, and he has secured your spot with him. So what does that mean when the alarm goes off at 6 a.m.? It means you live. It means you open up the word of God and you say, what now? If my future is secure, if my hope is in you, then what do you have for today? How do I live for today? How do I, how do I handle these situations that you have for me? How do I handle the relationships that are in my life? Because you've given me all things, so what is it next? We wake up and we live, and we live boldly because your future is secure. I've lived long enough, as most of you have, that I at least lived through one recession, didn't know much about it, but then I got to live through a brutal one in the last decade, just like you. And I watch people, and some of you are here, who lost their future. Their future went away in terms of the economy and the savings accounts. When the alarm goes off at six o'clock in the morning, it does not matter what tragedy hit, what someone else did, what some other country did, what some company did, what some anybody did. Your hope is secure. It never diminishes, never fails, never rots, never spoils. It is resting with the Father. God is with us and he is for us. As we continue in 1 Peter, in all of this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor 
when Jesus Christ is revealed. We want our trials to go away quickly. We want the pain to depart as fast as possible. But what we have to understand in those moments when it feels like life just punched us in the gut is that God is with us and he is for us. He is with us and that he is teaching us and he is guiding us and he is showing us and he is revealing to us. And he is for us, that his power is for us and not against us. You have the living God because he chose you and he secured your future. You have the living God for you, not against you. You have him with you in all circumstances and all times. What trial is it? What circumstance is it that is outside of his control? What is it in your life that he cannot handle? Why should hopelessness ever sweep over us? When the God of all gods, when the King of all kings, when the Lord Almighty is with us and for us, what is it that we face that overwhelms him? What is it that we face that we are without hope? We want these trials to disappear so fast, but if we're honest, they're what keeps us close to the Savior. It's what builds us. It's what develops us. I don't know if you're different than me. I would assume so. Each one of us have our own uniquenesses and our differences. But here's what I'm positive of. I can do it. I can make it. I'm that guy. I'm that bootstrap guy. I'll pull up my boots and I'll go. And I'll accomplish and I'll do. I might let you down here or there, but I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to fight the fight. And I'm going to make it happen. And I'll tell you what, if all I had was successes in my life, I would be God. I know we don't like to hear that, but I would be the most powerful person in my life because I know me. I know how much I depend on myself. I know how much I trust myself. I know how focused I am on myself. I know how often my thoughts are consumed by me and who I am. Look, the trials in my life, yes, they humble me, but they pull me close to my Savior. They pull me close to my God. They teach me the things that I'm too stubborn and hard-headed to, to learn. They make me yearn for that intimacy even more. The trials remind me that I do very little on my own. The trials remind me that I have no control of this life. That's an illusion that I walk with. The trials remind me that you are important. I am not the most important one. The trials, the pain, the difficulty of life, it's what puts me in the center of God's will. It's what puts me right there. Because in those moments that I don't know where to go, in those moments I don't know what to do, in those moments that I'm feeling beat up, in those moments that I, I'm feeling as if life is just caving in all around, I go to the Father and I say, what next and how do I step and what do I do and what do I say because I am not enough. 
It's in those moments that the, the chances are far greater that I'll be walking in his will than without those moments. It's in those moments that I seek what he wants for my life and those around me. It's in those moments that I find myself in the center of his presence. And it is the most peaceful and grace-filled place I could ever imagine. And it is in abundance. Don't wish the trials away so quickly. They remind us. They draw us. They develop us. They test us. They preserve us. The Father's doing great work in us. And he chose you. He secured your future. He's with you. And he is for you. So what difference does that make when the alarm goes off at six o'clock in the morning? Be bold, church. Be bold. You were chosen to live, and we get to live boldly. For what can hit us that can keep us down? What can crush us? can cause us to stop. Oh, we'll fall down. It'll hurt. It'll be difficult. But we are never without hope. So when the alarm goes off, I don't know what storm you're in. I don't know what kind of pain you're experiencing. I don't know the heartache. But I do know this. Church, live boldly. Because God is with you and he is for you. And if he is for you, then who can be against you? And if he is for you, then who is victorious? Those he's chosen. Live in victory. Live. Live boldly. Know that you're chosen. No one has power or authority over you except for the one who chose you. And remember your reward. It does not perish, does not rot, does not spoil, does not fade. You've been chosen. Your future is secure. He is with you and for you. Father, thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you that we can be a church that lives boldly that lives in the midst of your great rewards, that your presence is constantly with us, that you fight on our behalf, <laughs> you draw us close to you, you refine us, you're making us like you, and all because you chose us. We love you, Father. In your name we pray, amen. If this, morning you need to, uh, if this morning you need to know more about the Savior that chooses us, if you need to know more about that Father, we want to explain it to you. We want to help you know him. We want to help you know what he's calling you, how he's calling you. If maybe you're going through a tough time, you need to know more about God being with us and for us. Or maybe you just need to talk and pray. 
the altar right through this door is open. It's not a scary place. Matter of fact, it's decorated real nice. And uh, not a bunch of scary people. It's elders and pastors and people that you're sitting next to. We just want to pray with you. We want to talk with you. We want to try to be there for you. Church, live boldly and may you be blessed this week.